This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I was 22 years old, deep in the heart of the Ozarks in Arkansas, equipped with some new gear that I had been saving up for months. From my sturdy boots to a tactical vest and even a military spec gas mask, it felt like Christmas morning to be out here, eager to field test my personal prototypes. My trusty nugget handgun was holstered at my side, a weapon that wouldn't do much against big bears but would certainly ruin the day of any snake, stray dog, or cougar that crossed my path. I had a couple of loaded clipazines ready to go, along with some rolled-up targets stashed in my pouches. Additionally, I was well prepared for anything the wilderness might throw at me, with a compass, topographical map, thermal blanket, extra underwear, MREs, a canteen, and a camelback hydration system. I was basically armed and ready for the inevitable invasion of any kind. I was having a blast, navigating the dense woods, testing the limits of my gas mask's field of view, and evaluating the reliability of the clipazines. I wandered alongside a peaceful creek bed, deciding it was the perfect time to practice some guerrilla tactics. The late summer-early fall season ensured that there was no risk of getting my gear wet in the non-existent stream. Although I was starting to feel the moisture build up inside my gas mask due to my own sweat. After a quick safety check, I began a series of screen slides, uphill hustles, and full-on survivalist maneuvers. However, I quickly realized that the combination of my heavy gear and the sweltering weather made me winded. Panting and sweaty, I found myself standing in that dry creek bed, contemplating my position on the topographical map to set a course for home. Amidst my efforts to reorient myself, I caught an unusual smell. At first, I attributed it to my own perspiration, but the odor soon transformed into something far more sinister. It was a putrid, overwhelming scent. A complex blend of rot, animal musk, garbage, garlic, and something like skunk and onion sludge. It was so noxious that it nearly made me gag. Instinctively, I reached into my pouch and took an Adderall for extra focus then drew my nugget, ensuring it was in working order. I was determined to be prepared, but I prayed I wouldn't have to use it. The smell persisted, growing stronger, and I knew whatever was emitting it was getting closer. With a deep breath, I decided to pull my gas mask from around my neck and over my face. It provided some relief, but the mask wasn't entirely airtight around the joints, allowing traces of the stench to seep in. I proceeded cautiously and silently along the creek bed, heading towards the area where the slope was shallowest. 
As I crept forward, I strained my ears, listening for any snapping twigs or animal sounds from above. There was definitely something shuffling around, and it sounded larger than anything my nugget could handle. It emitted a constant snuffling grunt, accompanied by sloppy uncoordinated movements through the underbrush. My mind immediately jumped to my father's stories about big bears. My dad, an Ozarks resident for 58 years, had shared tales of these bears, claiming they weren't just black bears but also brown bears, the result of a mysterious hybridization. The offspring were larger and meaner, thanks to something called hybrid vigor. He had even shown me photographs to prove his point, revealing a massive black and brown creature rummaging through a clothesline, emphasizing the size and height difference from the clothesline in the background. Back to my story, I was contemplating hiding when I finally caught sight of the source of the stench. It was not a bear, though it had bear-like features. It resembled a bizarre fusion of a grizzly bear, a sloth, and something entirely otherworldly. Its elongated snout resembled a stubby trunk, and its body was bulky, covered in dirty, matted fur. I was mesmerized by the sight, studying the creature for what felt like an eternity. Astonishingly, it hadn't noticed me yet. My overactive imagination tried to label it as some sort of creature from science fiction, like a solidor, but it was far from any classification I could muster. My fascination was broken by a sudden interruption, a fart. Yes, a simple bodily noise in the midst of this bizarre encounter. The creature halted its movements, my breath caught in my throat, and my heart raced. The only sounds in the woods were the echoing fart and the sound of my heart pounding against my chest as the creature shifted its attention towards me. The creature sniffed the air, emitting a low growl that had my entire digestive system preparing for a siege. I fired my nugget, not at the creature, but into the ground beside it. There was a puff of dirt and hair, but no blood. It seemed that the creature's unkempt fur served as natural body armor. Undeterred, the creature reared up on its hind legs and growled menacingly. I knew I had to act fast, so I worked the bolt and fired again, this time aiming at its bizarre face. The shot hit home with a sickening sound, but to my surprise the creature seemed unfazed, save for a trickle of blood. It roared and lurched towards me. In sheer panic I yelled and fired a third shot in a random direction, desperate to scare it off. Amazingly, it worked. The creature dropped to all fours, its strange noises still echoing in my ears, and I managed to shuffle away from it. I stood there, trembling, as the sky transitioned from blue to orange, realizing that my father's stories about big bears had been partially correct. When I eventually made it home and recounted the encounter to my dad, he refused to believe me entirely. He locked the doors and retreated upstairs for the rest of my visit only communicating through a few cold drinks. Oddly enough, I wasn't frightened during the encounter. My curiosity had outweighed my fear, and the Adderall probably played a role in keeping my panic at bay. It was the day I met a creature unlike anything I'd ever imagined and lived to tell the tale. I don't really have an explanation for what happened. I have ideas, but here's the story. I'm a freshly graduated high school student on my way to college. 
During my senior year, I had a job working for my grandfather as a farm manager. He would give me instructions on what to do on the farm without him being there, most commonly feeding the cows. It was early November, and at this time, baseball practice started after school and would last from 3.25 to 5.30. By that time, the sun was almost down when I arrived at work and started getting ready. One day, I had gotten dressed, filled up the buckets, and fed the first farm, when I realized that I didn't have a key to the other farm. Frustrated, I was forced to pick up two buckets at a time and walk them from the fence to the feed trough, a good 40-yard walk. While walking, I was trying to keep myself upbeat and just started to whistle, no real pattern or tune, just something that I came up with. When I came back and put the last buckets in the bed of the truck, I heard something from my neighboring property. It was whistling, strange whistling. I thought, as no one lives anywhere near that property, and it sounded very close. I rationalized it was a mockingbird or something, and just kind of went on with my life. The next couple of days, I didn't whistle, but the whistling continued. Slowly, over those few days, it got clearer and clearer until it sounded like regular whistling. Eventually, it got louder. When I first heard it, it was very faint. Almost missed it over the crunching of me walking to my truck. In the last few days, I kind of became accustomed to the whistling and kind of expected it. When one day, it didn't come, I was a little disappointed. This time I had brought the key and walked up to the gate and started fiddling with my keys when I dropped them into the grass. I said, damn it, when I dropped them. I squatted down and started to search for them when I heard a very faint sound coming from the other property, a low groan or glee, and it was getting louder. At this point, I wasn't scared but more curious as to what was going on over there. I left my truck parked across from the property and walked a few feet down the road hopping the fence of the property where I heard the sounds. The land in there goes straight uphill and is heavily wooded all throughout. The further you go up, the more dense it gets. Looking back now, I made a few big mistakes that could have gotten me hurt. As I walked up the hill, I would occasionally hear the gurgle. It was far up the hill, still as faint as it was before. As I walked, a bad smell started to hit my nose a weird mixture of garbage and wet dog or something. I heard something as I was about to crest the hill. Damn it! A very dry, low, and quite distorted damn it came from a couple of yards in front of me. It sounded like a 60-year-old smoker saying damn it very slowly, as if they didn't know English or something. I automatically thought someone was on our property. Somewhat angry and paranoid now, I started to move slower. I didn't want this guy to hear me before I could see them. I kept going, and stopped, and listened when I heard another sound. Damn it. Damn damn it. This guy was now slowly saying, damn it. Normally, not long and drawn out in that eerie way. As if he didn't know English. I sat down on this log, kind of listening, trying to figure out what I should do about this person. He kept saying it over and over, and I noticed his tone was getting higher. His inflection was changing. It hit me. This guy was perfectly mimicking me. My tone, inflection, literally everything. He even mimicked my frustration when I said it. Angry and kind of scared now, I got up and started to crest the hill. I flicked on my flashlight on my phone. Hey, this is private property, I began, 
but I was cut off in my sentence as I came over the hill. The light barely illuminated this naked figure squatting just a couple of yards in front of me. His eyes were illuminated by the faint glow of my flashlight. I automatically felt that something was wrong. This wasn't a regular person. His neck was longer than normal, and when I came up the hill, he winched his neck and snapped his head to look at me without moving his eyes. They were too big, and his head was large and slender. He was squatted in a ballerina-type squat. I looked at his body. He was very skinny, his ribs showing through his skin. There was a short silence, and like a robot, the man turned in the leaves and slowly stood with his hands next to his side. I was debating if it was even a person. It was far too tall to be a person. Damn it, it said in my voice. I turned and sprinted down the hill. It didn't feel like I was running, but more that my legs were just going through the motions. I didn't look back before I got to the fence, and when I hopped it, I got in my truck and sped away. Sadly, I still work at that farm, but I've never told anyone the story, not even my grandfather. I've only heard the whistling a few more times since then. I'm not really a believer in the paranormal, and I really tried to find an explanation for weird stuff. I believe that this may have just been some weird squatter, but I really don't know. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Sitting on the western side of the Missouri River is Omaha, Nebraska, a sprawling metropolis that has been the largest city in Nebraska for nearly 170 years. It has seen its share of historical events and boasted a rich tapestry of ethnic neighborhoods where waves of immigrants found a home among their own kind. South Omaha, a district famous for its meatpacking plants, welcomed Eastern Europeans, including Poles, Czechs, Germans, Lithuanians, Slavic Croatians, and more. But as time passed, many of the slaughterhouses closed, forever altering the landscape. Growing up in Omaha, I often heard tales of South Omaha's past, and the old buildings that remained as silent monuments to those days fascinated me. I longed to explore these relics of history, from old slaughterhouses to factories and even breweries that once made Omaha famous. However, one particular building had captured my imagination, the massive five-story slaughterhouse nestled close to the train tracks that sliced through South Omaha. Constructed of brick and steel, it stood as a testament to the city's industrial history. News of its impending demolition filled me with sadness, but it also spurred my curiosity. While I'd always been intrigued by urban exploration, I'd been too nervous to trespass in the past. But with the slaughterhouse slated for destruction, I made a decision. I had to see it before it became just another parking lot. One fantastic fall evening, I parked my truck at a distance from the building. Armed with a heavy LED mag light and dressed inconspicuously in light hiking gear, I approached the massive structure. The slaughterhouse lay near the train tracks, surrounded by other buildings with the same red and white brick facade. 
Tall grasses and empty lots bordered the site, enclosed by a chain-link fence that encompassed the entire complex. I was prepared for this moment and parked my truck discreetly on a side street near a garage. As I neared the fence, a strange sensation crept over me. Nervousness and fear, a cocktail of emotions that refused to dissipate. Nevertheless, I pressed on, and as I stepped over the fence, the unease intensified. I reached a door on the side of the building, its logo and name long faded, the glass coated in dirt and grime. I tried the handle, but it wouldn't budge. With some force, I managed to pry it open, breaking the lock in the process. I shrugged it off, knowing the building was destined for demolition. Inside, I switched on my flashlight, revealing a vast pitch-black room filled with decaying machinery used for meat processing. Dust and cobwebs clung to everything, and control stations, desks, and more lay untouched for years. Undeterred, I navigated through the machinery until I reached a pair of double doors leading to another room. As I pushed the doors open slightly, a sudden chill descended upon me. It was an unnatural cold, given that the outside temperature was a mild 65 degrees Fahrenheit. My skin prickled, and a sense of foreboding washed over me. There was no wind, but it felt like winter had encroached upon this room. I steeled myself and ventured forward, entering what I presumed to be the killing floor. It featured a main pathway for cattle and conveyor belts to transport them to the next processing station. Yet, the smell that assailed my senses was unlike anything I had ever encountered in this part of town. It was a foul odor of death, decay, and disease, a scent from the depths of nightmares. The hairs on my neck stood on end, and I recalled stories of such putrid stenches being associated with wendigos and skinwalkers. I tried to convince myself that it was merely a decaying animal, but the unease lingered. My journey through the next room was tense, and then a sound like no other shattered the silence, an otherworldly bellow that reverberated with an eerie, almost human-like cry. I scanned the room, searching for the source of the wailing, but found nothing. Panic began to set in as I moved to the next room, my nerves stretched to the limit. There my flashlight revealed a gruesome sight large plastic bins filled with bloody cow bones. How could they still be here after nearly four decades of abandonment? I took a step back, realizing that the floor was also coated in fresh blood. My heart pounded, and I was about to make my escape when I saw it, a faint red light emanating from a nearby doorway. Two crimson eyes appeared in the darkness, and I leaned closer to discern their source. Then another deafening bellow, closer this time, accompanied by the sound of hooves on tile, sent me sprinting through the door to the other side of the room. Once through the door, I raced down a hallway lined with shiny tiles, hoping to find an exit. The footsteps of the unseen pursuer echoed behind me, but the gear they wore seemed to slow them down, allowing me to gain some distance. At last, I reached the end of the hallway and pushed through a doorway with rubber flaps, like those in a butcher shop. I turned to the right, but froze in my tracks. A dim red light bulb illuminated a workstation where multiple men in long white smocks, helmets, goggles, and rubber boots were cleaning a cow carcass. One sprayed it down, another cut it apart, and the third moved bones into a bin. It was an impossible sight. Meat packing in this abandoned place? It couldn't be. 
As I inched further into the room, I heard them speaking, an unfamiliar language, Eastern European, perhaps Polish. My heart raced as memories of my grandparents speaking Polish flashed before me. I needed to get past them to escape, so I carefully maneuvered around the men. I don't know how, but they heard me. All three stopped what they were doing and turned to face me, their bespeckled faces illuminated by the dim red light. I felt like a trespasser in a forbidden world as one of them shouted something in Polish and began moving toward me. The others followed suit, their intent clear. Panic seized me, and I dashed for the other door, sprinting down the hallway once more. I could hear their footsteps closing in behind me, but their cumbersome gear seemed to hinder their pursuit. I finally found an exterior door and burst through it, emerging on the opposite side of the slaughterhouse. Gasping for breath, I surveyed my surroundings, my newfound freedom allowing me to regain some composure. I glanced back at the menacing building and froze. Through an open truck dock, I saw the three men again, their faces unchanged, but now with glowing red eyes. Fear surged through me as I sprinted to my truck up the road. Another bone-chilling bellow echoed in the distance, and my ears throbbed with the sound. How could this be happening? I sped away from the nightmare, my mind racing with questions. What did those men want with me? What had I stumbled upon in that place? I had no answers, only a chilling encounter that would haunt me forever. After extensive research and countless hours of reading about the supernatural, I couldn't help but wonder if I had encountered some kind of malevolent entity, perhaps a skinwalker. The truth remained shrouded in mystery, and I vowed never to venture into abandoned buildings, especially those with a dark and eerie past. The layout of the cabin we were staying in outside was quite unique. It had a deck that wrapped around the house in a C-shape, creating a cozy, welcoming atmosphere. The main entrance faced south, providing a stunning view of the surrounding landscape, while the second entrance faced west, overlooking a peaceful meadow. The stairs leading down from the west side, where the meadow stretched out, consisted of 15 steps, each roughly 10 feet high. As you approach the cabin from the south, you couldn't help but notice the big panel glass windows that adorned the west side. These windows connected two smaller windows, allowing ample natural light to filter into the cabin. A screen door stood directly underneath this arrangement. It was a year after my mom and her boyfriend had gone on a cruise, leaving me in the care of his parents, Mary and Ben, with Kenny, his brother, also joining us for the cabin trip. Despite my lingering unease from a previous encounter, I decided to push my apprehensions to the back of my mind. In a previous story, I had shared my initial encounter with what I believed might have been a skinwalker, and that experience made me wary of returning to the cabin's treehouse. However, with no one else to accompany me, my youthful curiosity led me to wander around the property. One day, as I stood near the front of the cabin, gazing toward the treehouse, the memory of my past encounter sent a shiver down my spine. An inexplicable feeling of being watched washed over me. I couldn't shake it off. I stared at the treehouse, fearing the worst, and then, to my horror, it suddenly collapsed to one side. I couldn't stay outside any longer, so I sprinted back indoors. The rest of the day passed somewhat normally. I watched a movie, ate dinner, did the dishes, and even caught a college football game on TV. 
Exhausted, I eventually fell asleep on the couch, but was rudely awakened sometime around midnight by a fierce storm. Lightning flashed and thunder roared outside, startling me from my slumber. I rubbed my eyes and with a sense of trepidation made my way up the stairs to my bedroom. The bed I lay on was situated right at the edge of the open area upstairs, and I couldn't shake the feeling of unease. Something was definitely peering in at me, and I could feel it deep in my bones. I turned my gaze toward the panel glass windows as another lightning strike illuminated the night. There, pressed against the glass, I saw a massive, grotesque creature. My body went cold, and I instantly recognized it as the same creature that had watched me earlier in the evening. It seemed to know I was there. Panicking, I bolted from my bed and fled into the kitchen. I huddled behind the bar-like table against the countertop, my heart pounding with terror. The tapping on the window grew more frequent, and I couldn't bear to look. I closed my eyes, curling up into a fetal position on the floor. Above me, the kitchen sink had a small window, and when I eventually opened my eyes, the creature was there, staring back at me. Its face was horrifyingly human-like, with pitch-black eyes, damp hair from the rain, a flat nose, and a mouth reminiscent of a gorilla. I couldn't tear my gaze away, frozen in terror, with tears streaming down my face. I finally managed to shift my head so that I couldn't see it anymore. At that moment, I heard the creature walk over to the door and start rattling it, desperately trying to gain entry. Just when I thought I was beyond hope, Kenny walked out of a room, heading towards the bathroom. He turned around and found me on the kitchen floor, trembling like a frightened animal. He asked, What are you doing? But I couldn't even form a coherent response. Fear had taken complete control of me. Soon Mary joined us, probably awakened by the commotion. Together they managed to calm me down, and they let me sleep in their third bedroom that night. The next day, we hastily packed our things and left the cabin behind. When my parents returned from their vacation, Mary and Ben shared the unsettling events of that night with them. My mom asked me about everything that had transpired, from the moment I first felt uneasy to the terrifying encounter by the window. I couldn't shake the memory of that creature, and I knew I could never return to those mountains without feeling an overwhelming sense of dread. As I contemplated what I had seen, I couldn't help but wonder, was it some sort of Sasquatch, a Wendigo, or perhaps even a Skinwalker? I may never know for sure, but the haunting memories of that night in the cabin would stay with me, forever etched in my mind. Before we go to the next story, I want to mention I discovered a game-changing productivity booster that has helped get my mornings going. As someone who loves caffeine, I often relied heavily on energy drinks and coffee, but now I've embraced a new, easy addition to my routine for that essential energy uplift. This has become my favorite choice for a swift energy surge, and its ease of use makes it a daily staple for me. Remarkably, it's quite tasty and has effectively diminished my need for caffeine since introducing Magic Mind into my daily regimen. It's an indispensable part of my morning, vital for the mental sharpness and concentration it offers. Since using it, I've experienced reduced stress and anxiety, which has been beneficial for managing my ADHD, alongside enhanced sleep and improved memory retention. Magic Mind stands out with its premium all-natural ingredients, 
carefully selected from the finest sources. It's free from sugar and nuts, and aligns with vegan, keto, and paleo diets, catering to a wide range of dietary needs. Some key ingredients, turmeric and organic lion's mane mushrooms, not only reduce stress and anxiety, but also contain L-theanine, a compound that naturally lowers stress and inflammation in the body. I have been sharing Magic Mind with my coffee-loving friends. It has been a joy, as it's helped us all reduce our caffeine intake and get more done. Now available at all Sprouts Farmers Market stores nationwide, Magic Mind is your perfect companion to kickstart 2024 with full focus and drive. Let Magic Mind be your ally in achieving your New Year resolutions. Only this January, you get one month for free when you're subscribing for three months at www.magicmind.com forward slash Jan, just creepy. And with my code, just creepy 20, it's an extra 20% off, which gets you to a 75% off. This only lasts until the end of January, so hurry up before it goes away. I still get chills down my spine when I reminisce about that harrowing summer night three years ago. I was just an innocent 11-year-old, full of youthful excitement, attending a summer camp with my classmates. At first, the camp was an absolute delight. We frolicked in the sun and relished the camaraderie. Little did we know that our tranquil world was about to be shattered. It was a moonlit night when it all began, and our cozy shelter in the woods echoed with the sinister symphony of footsteps. The eerie sound pierced my slumber, jolting me awake. Fear gripped my heart, paralyzing me. I lay there, petrified, straining to discern the source of the ominous noise. Each step reverberated through the shelter, etching dread into my very soul. Time seemed to stretch endlessly until the footsteps finally faded into the obscurity of the night. Only then did I gather the courage to venture a glimpse outside. My heart pounded as I peered through the flimsy veil of darkness. There, right before our shelter, stood a shadowy figure. My skin prickled with goosebumps, and an icy shiver traversed my spine. Panicked, I roused my slumbering friends from their dreams. Desperate to prove I wasn't hallucinating, I gestured wildly towards the figure outside. But when their sleepy eyes blinked open and they turned to look, the figure had vanished, leaving behind an unsettling void. The following day brought with it the bright distraction of daytime activities, and the nocturnal scare was temporarily shelved in the recesses of our minds. Engaged in a thrilling excursion with a group of rangers, my friends and I ventured into the dense wilderness. Our enthusiasm was palpable as we anticipated close encounters with wildlife and breathtaking sights. However, what we encountered was far from the anticipated adventure. Amidst the whispering leaves and dappled sunlight, a solitary man materialized on our path. He beckoned us to approach, his intentions shrouded in mystery. Skepticism coursed through my veins, but one of my companions argued it would be impolite to ignore him, suggesting he might need our assistance. I, on the other hand, sensed danger, and my instincts screamed at me to retreat. I began to backtrack towards the reassuring presence of the rangers, planning to share our unnerving encounter. But time betrayed me. As my friends debated whether to heed the stranger's call, he decided for us. With an unsettling grin stretching across his face, the man approached us and uttered chilling words. 
Hey boys, I want to have some fun. My response was immediate, a resolute, no thanks, we have to go back to the rangers. Miraculously, he acquiesced and allowed us to leave, sparing us from whatever malevolent scheme he had in mind. That night, the relentless sound of footsteps returned, determined to torment us once more. This time, I was ready. I roused my friends before cautiously peering outside, determined to unveil the identity of our nocturnal visitor. And there he stood, the same ominous man from the afternoon encounter. My heart pounded like a drum as I locked eyes with him, his features illuminated by the faint moonlight. How did he know where we were staying? Panic gripped us as my friend hurled a vile threat, a promise of violence to protect us. In response, the man brandished a massive, gleaming knife, glinting malevolently in the night. It was our only saving grace, for the sight of the weapon sent him fleeing into the obscurity once more. The following day, we wasted no time reporting the horrifying encounter to the rangers, hoping for their intervention. But the man vanished into the ether, never to be heard from again. The unsettling encounter remained etched in my memory, a haunting enigma that would forever haunt my thoughts, leaving me with the lingering question of what that sinister stranger truly wanted with a group of innocent children. The morning sun peeked over the horizon, casting a warm golden glow over our small suburban home. I stood by the window, coffee in hand, watching the neighborhood wake up, Today was the day, the day we'd been planning for months, our family camping trip to the secluded woods up north. I couldn't help but feel a mix of excitement and apprehension. Joyce was bustling around in the kitchen, her movements efficient and full of purpose. Tyler, our adventurous 12-year-old, was already outside, double-checking our camping gear with the seriousness of a seasoned explorer. Amy, the youngest at nine, was buzzing with energy her laughter filling the house as she chased our old dog, Buster, around the living room. As a family, we needed this. Work had been relentless for Joyce and me, and the kids were growing up fast, caught in their own whirlwinds of school and friends. This trip was our chance to disconnect from the world and reconnect with each other. Packing the camper was like a well-rehearsed dance. We all knew our roles. Joyce's meticulous planning ensured we had everything from spare batteries to her famous homemade granola bars. Tyler, ever the helper, was in charge of the camping gear, while Amy took it upon herself to make sure Buster had his favorite chew toys. I supervised, making sure everything was secured and ready for the four-hour drive. The drive was peaceful. Open roads, clear skies, and a playlist of classic rock set the tone. Joyce and I talked about everything and nothing, while the kids played games in the back seat. Every now and then, I'd catch a glimpse of Amy's face pressed against the window, her eyes wide with wonder at the passing scenery. We arrived at the campground in the mid-afternoon. It was as beautiful as we remembered, a pristine lake reflecting the clear blue sky, surrounded by dense woods that promised adventure. We found our campsite, a cozy spot near the lake, and got to work setting up. Tyler and Amy were a blur of excitement, helping us set up the camper and then immediately setting off on their bikes to explore the nearby trails. Joyce and I worked together in comfortable silence, 
our routine seamless after years of camping together. Once everything was in place, I took charge of the grill, cooking up a batch of burgers that had everyone's mouth watering. The familiar smell of grilled meat and the sound of sizzling fat were comforting. We gathered around the picnic table, enjoying our meal under the shade of tall pine trees. As the sun began to set, we lit a campfire. The crackling flames and the soft glow against the darkening sky created a magical atmosphere. We roasted marshmallows, shared stories, and laughed together. It was these moments, simple and unadorned, that I cherished the most. The night grew darker, and the woods around us came alive with the sounds of nature, the hoot of an owl, the rustle of leaves in the breeze. It was peaceful, yet there was an undercurrent of something wild, something untamed, just beyond the reach of our campfire light. As the kids started to yawn, worn out from the day's adventures, we tucked them into bed in the camper. Joyce and I lingered by the fire, talking softly, enjoying the quiet. Eventually, we too decided to call it a night. As I lay in bed, listening to the gentle breathing of my family, I felt a profound sense of contentment. Out here, away from the noise and rush of everyday life, I felt grounded. Little did I know, our tranquil retreat was about to take a turn into the unknown, into a night that would test us in ways we never imagined. The chirping of birds outside our camper ushered in a new day, full of promise and the allure of the unknown. After a quick breakfast of scrambled eggs and toast, we set out to explore the dense woods that surrounded the campground. There's something about being in nature, the way it strips away the complexities of life, leaving you with a raw sense of existence. That's what I wanted for my family, a touch of raw, unfiltered life. Tyler led the way with the confidence of a young boy who believed he was invincible, his sister trailing behind, her eyes wide with curiosity. Joyce walked beside me, her hand occasionally brushing mine, a silent communication of shared love and contentment. We followed a well-worn trail that meandered through the forest. The canopy of leaves above us danced in the light breeze, creating a mosaic of light and shadow on the forest floor. Every now and then, Amy would stop to pick wildflowers, her collection growing with every step. About an hour into our hike, we stumbled upon something unexpected, an old cabin, hidden away in the thicker part of the woods. It stood there, a relic of a bygone era, its walls weathered and beaten by time, the roof partially caved in. I felt a chill run down my spine as I approached it. There was something unsettling about this forgotten structure, a sense of stories untold, of secrets kept hidden by the silent trees that stood guard around it. Tyler was already heading towards it, his curiosity piqued but I called him back. Let's not get too close, Ty, I cautioned. It doesn't look safe. Amy seemed disappointed, her adventurous spirit dampened by my warning. Joyce squeezed my hand, a silent nod of agreement with my decision. We decided to take a break, sitting on a fallen log near the cabin. As we snacked on granola bars and apples, I couldn't shake the eerie feeling that we were being watched. The woods, once a source of serenity, now felt like they held a lurking presence. We continued our hike, but the cabin stayed with me, like a shadow at the back of my mind. I found myself constantly looking over my shoulder, half expecting to see something or someone following us. Joyce noticed my unease. Everything okay? 
she asked. Yeah, just can't shake the feeling about that cabin, I replied, trying to sound more casual than I felt. We made our way back to the campsite, the laughter and chatter from the kids easing some of the tension that had built up inside me. But as the sun began its descent, casting long shadows across the campground, a sense of foreboding settled over me. The forest, with its darkening depths, seemed to whisper secrets in a language only it understood. That night, as we sat around the campfire, the flames casting a warm glow against the encroaching darkness, I couldn't help but feel a growing sense of unease. It was as if the forest was holding its breath, waiting for something to break the silence of the night. And then it came. A scream, distant yet distinct, slicing through the calm of the night like a knife. In that moment, our peaceful retreat transformed into something else entirely, something primal and unsettling. As the echoes of that scream faded into the night, I knew our adventure had just taken an unexpected turn. The night had fallen like a thick curtain over the campground, wrapping everything in a shroud of darkness only pierced by our campfire's glow. We sat around the fire, the kids roasting marshmallows, their faces illuminated by the flickering light, laughter and stories filling the air. It was a picture-perfect moment, one of those you wish you could freeze in time. But as the night deepened, the forest around us seemed to grow denser, more ominous. There was a stillness in the air, the kind that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. I tried to shake off the feeling, telling myself it was just the wild playing tricks on my city-tuned senses. Joyce and I stayed up a little longer after tucking the kids into the camper. We sat by the dying fire, sipping on our beers, talking in hushed tones. There's something about being out in the wilderness that brings out deeper conversations, ones that get lost in the everyday hustle. Then, cutting through the night, came a sound that sent a jolt of fear straight to my core. A scream, distant yet unmistakably human, a sound of pure terror that echoed through the silent woods. Joyce's hand gripped mine, her eyes wide with alarm. The kids, awakened by the noise, peeked out of the camper, their faces etched with fear. What was that, Dad? Tyler's voice trembled slightly, trying to sound braver than he felt. I'm not sure, buddy. Probably just an animal, I said, trying to sound reassuring. But the look in Joyce's eyes told me she wasn't buying it. We decided to retreat to the safety of our camper, locking the door behind us. The thin walls felt like the only barrier between us and the unknown terrors lurking in the dark. Lying in bed, every creak and rustle of the wind sent my imagination into overdrive. I could tell Joyce was awake too, her steady breathing a little too forced. The night seemed endless, every sound amplified in the deafening silence that followed the scream. I lay there, my mind racing, trying to piece together what could have made such a sound. A lost camper, an animal in distress, or something more sinister. As the first light of dawn crept through the curtains, we all emerged from the camper, tired and uneasy. The peacefulness of the previous day was gone, replaced by a sense of vulnerability, of not being alone. Over breakfast, Joyce and I debated whether to pack up and leave, but the kids, still clinging to the excitement of camping, convinced us to stay one more day. We can't let one weird noise ruin our trip. 
Tyler argued, his voice a mix of bravado and the desire to not let his fear show. Reluctantly, Joyce and I agreed, deciding to stick close to the camper for the day. But as we went about our activities, I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched. The woods seemed to have eyes, and the tranquility we had once felt was now replaced by a lingering sense of dread. As the day wore on, the unease grew. The once inviting forest now felt like a maze of shadows and unknown dangers. And as night approached again, so did the realization that we were in a place where the line between the known and the unknown was as thin as the tent walls that separated us from the dark. The morning after the scream was a pale imitation of the day before. The sun rose all right, but its light seemed filtered, as if the very brightness was wary of touching our campsite. Joyce was quiet as she made breakfast, her movements mechanical. The kids tried to play near the camper, but their laughter was forced, their glances towards the woods frequent and nervous. I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched. Every rustle in the bushes, every snap of a twig, sent a surge of adrenaline through me. The forest had transformed from a place of wonder to a realm of unseen eyes and hidden threats. The departure of our neighboring campers did nothing to ease our minds. Their empty sight stood as a silent testament to the terror of the night before. We spent the day close to the camper, activities subdued. The kids drew in their sketchbooks, the images darker, more jagged than usual. Joyce read a book but often looked up, scanning the tree line. I busied myself with minor repairs on the camper, though my mind was elsewhere, straining to hear any sound out of the ordinary. As the day wore on, the sky began to darken, clouds rolling in like an ominous premonition. By the time we cooked dinner, thunder rumbled in the distance. We ate mostly in silence, the storm's approach mirroring our growing apprehension. The first drops of rain fell as we cleared the table. We hurried inside the camper, the wind beginning to howl like a beast awakened. Lightning flashed, each bolt illuminating the forest in stark, surreal detail. The thunder was no longer a distant threat but right upon us, shaking the camper with its fury. In the cacophony of the storm, a new sound emerged, a low, guttural moaning that seemed to rise from the very earth beneath us. It was a sound of anguish and rage, unlike anything I'd ever heard. The kids huddled close to Joyce, their eyes wide with fear. What is that, Dad? Amy's voice was a whisper, barely audible over the storm. I don't know, sweetheart, I replied, trying to mask my own fear. The moaning grew louder, accompanied now by the sounds of something large moving through the underbrush, the snapping of branches, the rustle of leaves, as if a massive creature was making its way towards our campsite. Joyce and I exchanged a look, a silent agreement that we needed to protect our children at all costs. I grabbed a flashlight and a camping knife, feeble weapons, but all I had. The sound stopped abruptly, leaving only the storm's rage. We sat there, not daring to breathe, each of us lost in our own fears of what lurked outside. Then, a blinding light flooded through the windows, followed by the piercing sound of a bullhorn. Come out with your hands up. We stumbled outside, blinded by the light, to find two police officers, guns drawn, scanning the tree line. There's a dangerous animal on the loose, one of them shouted over the roar of the storm. We need to get you out of here. We didn't need to be told twice. Packing in haste, we threw our belongings into the camper. 
The storm raged around us, but it was nothing compared to the fear of what might be hiding in those woods. As we drove away, escorted by the police, the relief was palpable, but the questions remained. What was out there? What had stalked us through the trees? And would we ever feel safe in the wilderness again? The drive away from the campground was surreal. The rain still poured down, relentless, as if trying to cleanse the forest of its secrets. In the rearview mirror, the woods receded into the darkness, taking with them the terror of the last two days. Joyce sat beside me, her eyes fixed on the winding road ahead. The kids were in the back, huddled together under a blanket, Buster curled up at their feet. The only sound was the rain drumming against the camper and the occasional muted sob from Amy. As we put miles between us and the campground, the tension slowly began to unravel. Tyler, who had tried to play the brave older brother, finally let his guard down and fell asleep. Joyce reached over and squeezed my hand. A silent thank you for getting us out of there. I kept replaying the events in my mind, trying to make sense of it all. The scream in the night, the feeling of being watched, the animal noises during the storm, and then the police, their urgent warnings, their tense expressions. It was like a scene from a nightmare, except it was all too real. We stopped at a diner on the way home, the bright lights and the bustle of people a stark contrast to the isolation we had just experienced. The kids ate quietly, their usual energy subdued. Joyce and I exchanged small talk with the waitress, but our smiles were forced, our thoughts elsewhere. The rest of the drive home was quiet. We were all lost in our own thoughts, processing the events in our own way. When we finally pulled into our driveway, it was like returning from another world. Our home, with its familiar comforts, felt like a sanctuary. Unpacking was a silent affair. Each item we took out of the camper was a reminder of our ordeal. The camping gear, once symbols of adventure and escape, now felt tainted. We decided, then and there, to put it all away, maybe for good. That night, as we settled into our own beds, the safety of our home enveloped us. But the shadows of the forest lingered in the corners of our minds. The kids slept in our room, needing the reassurance of our presence. Joyce and I lay awake for a long time, talking in whispers about what had happened. We should have left after the first night, Joyce said, her voice tinged with guilt. We couldn't have known, I replied, though I shared her regret. The next morning over breakfast we made a pact to never return to those woods. The kids surprisingly agreed. The adventure they had once craved had turned into a lesson about the unpredictability of nature and the fragility of our place in it. In the weeks that followed, we tried to return to our normal routine, but the experience stayed with us. Sometimes, in the quiet of the night, I would wake up to the sound of a distant scream, only to realize it was just the wind. We never did find out what the police were tracking in those woods. Part of me wanted to know, to put a name to our fear. But another part was content to let it remain a mystery, a shadow in the forest best left undiscovered. As for our next vacation, Joyce's suggestion of the beach sounded perfect. The open sky, the endless sea, a far cry from the claustrophobic embrace of the woods. We needed a place to heal, to rebuild our sense of adventure in a world that suddenly seemed a lot bigger and a lot more unpredictable. 
The sun had barely crested over the jagged outline of Black Mesa when I loaded the last of my gear into the caravan. The Arizona sky, a canvas of fiery oranges and soft pinks, stretched above the barren landscape. I couldn't shake off a nagging sense of foreboding, a feeling that this trip would be different from the others. As a regular on these supply caravans, I had grown accustomed to the vast, open spaces of the desert, the way the earth stretched endlessly under the blazing sun. But today, the land seemed to whisper secrets in the wind, secrets I wasn't sure I wanted to hear. I glanced at the Peabody coal mining operations in the distance, an ever-present reminder of the complex relationship between the land and its resources. We were here to assist the communities affected by the mining, to bring supplies and a semblance of comfort. Yet, amidst the sprawling machinery and dust, I often wondered if we were really making a difference. My thoughts were interrupted by Buck, our caravan leader, a man as rugged as the terrain we traversed. Amanda, you set? He called out, his voice carrying over the hum of engines and the chatter of my fellow volunteers. Yeah, all good, I replied, forcing a smile. I admired Buck's unwavering optimism, even if I couldn't always share it. As we set off, the convoy of trucks kicked up a haze of dust, swallowing the path behind us. I sat in the passenger seat of the lead vehicle, my gaze fixed on the unyielding horizon. The caravan members, a mix of seasoned volunteers and wide-eyed newcomers, chatted excitedly, their enthusiasm unaffected by the early hour. I tried to join in the conversation, to lose myself in the mundane details of logistics and supply counts. But my mind kept drifting back to the conversation I had with an alumnus just a few days before, about his eerie experience in these very lands. He spoke of shadows that moved with intent and whispers in the wind that sounded almost human. I had laughed it off then, a defense against the chill that ran down my spine. As the caravan snaked its way through the undulating landscape, I noticed the subtle changes in the terrain. The dry arroyos, which lay dormant under the sun, were like scars on the earth, reminders of the fleeting wrath of rain. I knew these natural pathways could turn into raging torrents with little warning, much like the secrets that seemed to lurk just beneath the surface of this land. The caravan came to a stop at our first checkpoint, a routine pause to ensure everything was in order. I stepped out of the truck, stretching my legs and taking in the vast expanse of wilderness that surrounded us. The beauty of the place was undeniable, yet it felt like an untamed beast. Beautiful, but dangerous. I looked up at the sky, now a brilliant blue, and took a deep breath. This was more than just a supply run. It was a journey into the heart of a land rich with stories and mysteries, a land that held its secrets close. And as we moved deeper into the heart of Black Mesa, I couldn't help but feel that we were not just visitors here. We were part of a story yet to unfold, a story that would test our resolve and perhaps reveal truths we weren't ready to face. The heat of the midday sun was relentless, a scorching presence that seemed intent on draining every ounce of moisture from my body. I pulled my hat lower over my eyes, trying to shield myself from the harsh glare as I watched a lamb, its coat as white as the cumulus clouds dotting the sky, dart playfully away from the enclosure. It was a harmless escape, a brief moment of freedom for the animal, but for me, it was the beginning of an unforeseen ordeal. I set off after the lamb, my boots kicking up small clouds of dust with each step, 
The land around Black Mesa was deceptive. What appeared flat and navigable from a distance was a labyrinth of dips and rises, arroyos, and hidden crevices up close. I kept my eyes on the lamb, which seemed to hop effortlessly over the rugged terrain, blissfully unaware of my growing concern. As I ventured farther from the camp, the familiar landmarks began to blur into one another. The vastness of the landscape engulfed me, and a creeping sense of disorientation settled in. The lamb, now a distant speck, vanished over a rise, and I hastened my pace, determined not to lose sight of it. I reached the crest of a small hill, panting from the effort. Below me, the land stretched out in all directions, a tapestry of earth and sky, with no sign of the lamb or the path back to the caravan. A surge of panic gripped me. I was lost, utterly lost in a sea of dust and sun-scorched rocks. I tried to retrace my steps, but the land seemed to shift and change with each turn. My breaths became shallow, my chest tight. The asthma that I had kept at bay for so long chose that moment to rear its ugly head. I fumbled for my inhaler, my fingers trembling, but it was not there. In my haste to chase the lamb, I had left it behind. The world began to spin, a dizzying, disorienting sensation that overwhelmed my senses. I struggled to draw breath, each inhalation a battle against the tightening grip in my chest. My vision blurred, the edges of my consciousness fraying as panic and hyperventilation took hold. And then, darkness. When I came to, the world was a different place. The sun had surrendered to the moon, and the land was bathed in its pale, silvery light. I sat up, disoriented, my head throbbing with a dull ache. The temperature had dropped, the night air cool against my skin, a stark contrast to the day's heat. I listened, hoping to hear the familiar sounds of the caravan in the distance, but there was only silence. A chilling, oppressive silence that seemed to weigh down on me. Then, the snap of a twig, sharp and clear in the stillness of the night. I turned, my heart pounding in my chest, and in the dim moonlight, I saw it. A dark shape, huddled behind a tree, watching me. For a moment, I thought it was a person, perhaps one of the caravan members come to find me, but as my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I realized it was something else, something not quite human. It was then that fear, raw and primal, took hold of me, a fear that seemed to seep into my very bones. I was no longer just lost in the wilderness. I was lost in a world that was no longer familiar, a world where shadows hid secrets, and the night whispered of things best left unseen. The night was eerily quiet as I stared at the shadowy figure behind the tree. My mind raced with questions, yet my voice was paralyzed in my throat. The figure seemed to be observing me, its presence both curious and menacing. In that moonlit moment, the landscape of Black Mesa transformed from a familiar terrain into a realm of unknown threats. Compelled by a mix of fear and curiosity, I called out hesitantly, Hello, is someone there? My voice sounded alien in the stillness, and the figure remained motionless, a dark sentinel against the pale bark of the tree. I took a tentative step forward, my heart pounding against my ribs. I'm with the Colorado Caravan, I continued, my voice quivering. I think I'm lost. There was a pause, 
a breathless stretched moment where the world seemed to hold its breath. Then, the figure slowly emerged from behind the tree. To my bewildered relief, it appeared to be Charlie, a fellow caravan member. Relief washed over me in an overwhelming wave. Charlie? I called out, my voice tinged with disbelief and hope. The figure motioned for me to follow, and I hesitated only for a moment before complying. My mind was foggy, my judgment clouded by the relief of seeing a familiar face. We walked in silence, the figure leading me through the arroyo's winding paths. The moon cast long, haunting shadows across the landscape, turning every rock and bush into a potential threat. My senses were heightened, every snap of a twig or rustle of the wind sending jolts of fear through me. After what felt like an eternity, another figure materialized from the shadows ahead of us. My heart skipped a beat. This new presence was unexpected, and a sharp bolt of pain, like the onset of a severe migraine, struck me. I stopped dead in my tracks, my head throbbing with an intensity that bordered on unbearable. I squinted through the pain, and as my eyes adjusted, I saw more figures emerging, forming a semicircle around us. Panic surged within me. These were not humans. Their forms were distorted, more akin to large coyotes standing on their hind legs, with an unsettling human-like posture. My breath caught in my throat as I stared into their eyes, ten glowing orbs reflecting the moon's dim light. I was frozen in place, a primal part of my brain screaming at me to run, to escape the nightmare unfolding before me. But I couldn't move. The figures remained still, their gaze fixed on me. The silence was oppressive, punctuated only by my ragged breathing and the pounding of my heart. Then, as if on some unspoken command, they slowly began to advance. Adrenaline kicked in, shattering my paralysis. I turned and ran, stumbling over the uneven ground, my only thought to put as much distance between myself and those unearthly creatures as possible. I heard another twig snap behind me, but I didn't dare look back. I was no longer just lost. I was being hunted. And in that terrifying realization, I knew that the legends and whispers of Black Mesa were more than just stories. They were a warning, one I had failed to heed. My lungs burned as I ran, each breath a ragged gasp in the cold night air. The sounds of pursuit seemed to echo from every direction, a cacophony of rustling and snapping that kept pace with my frantic heartbeat. The moonlit landscape of Black Mesa had become a nightmarish maze, with each turn and twist plunging me deeper into terror. I didn't dare look back fearing that the sight of those coyote-like figures might paralyze me with fear. Their haunting eyes, glowing in the darkness, were etched into my memory, a chilling reminder that I was prey in a hunt I didn't understand. Suddenly, salvation appeared in the most unlikely form, the headlights of a vehicle cutting through the darkness. It was a Peabody mine worker, driving along a service road. Desperation lent me new energy, and I burst from the brush, waving my arms frantically. The truck screeched to a halt, and the driver, a rugged man with a face weathered by the Arizona sun, peered out at me with a mix of surprise and concern. What in the hell are you doing out here? He asked, his voice gruff with confusion. I didn't have the luxury of coherence. Please, I gasped. I need help. I'm lost, and something's chasing me. 
Without waiting for an invitation, I clambered into the passenger seat. The driver hesitated for only a moment before hitting the gas, the truck lurching forward. As we drove away, I risked a glance in the rearview mirror. In the fading glow of the brake lights, I saw them. Those haunting eyes, glowing ominously in the darkness. My heart pounded against my ribcage, a drumbeat of fear and relief. The driver, casting wary glances my way, asked no further questions. I could only imagine what I looked like, a wild-eyed, disheveled mess, babbling about being chased by creatures out of a nightmare. Eventually, the lights of the caravan's camp came into view, a beacon of safety in the unforgiving wilderness. The driver stopped at the edge of the camp, clearly reluctant to venture further into what he likely considered superstitious nonsense. I stumbled out of the truck, mumbling thanks and assurances that our caravan leader Buck would explain everything. My legs felt like jelly, my mind still reeling from the night's horrors. I ran towards the safety of the camp, but at the last moment, I veered off towards Johnny's family Hogan. I knew it was a breach of cultural respect to seek refuge in a Navajo family's home uninvited, especially as a non-native. But terror had stripped away all social norms and protocols. Johnny's parents, an elderly couple who spoke only Dine, looked up in surprise as I burst into their Hogan. My attempts to explain were a jumble of broken sobs and disjointed words. Yet something in my panicked demeanor transcended the language barrier. Johnny's father's face paled as he pieced together my story. He quickly moved to the window, peering out into the night with a grave expression. Meanwhile, Johnny's mother went to the stove, her movements deliberate and purposeful. She collected a small pan of ashes, which she sprinkled onto a handful of bullets, loading them into a 357 revolver. Her voice, singing what I assumed to be a dine prayer, was both comforting and ominous. They allowed me to stay, a gesture of kindness that I would never forget. As I lay there, listening to the soft murmurs of their prayers, I knew that I had crossed into a world where ancient beliefs and modern nightmares collided. And for one long, restless night, I hovered on the edge of that world, praying for dawn. The first light of dawn crept through the small openings of the Hogan, casting a soft golden glow on the woven rugs and simple furnishings. I lay there, exhausted yet restless, the events of the night replaying in my mind like a haunting melody. Johnny's parents were already awake, moving quietly with a sense of purpose that spoke of deep-rooted traditions and an unspoken understanding of the night's terror. I sat up, my body aching from the tension and fear. The memory of those glowing eyes in the darkness was still vivid, a stark reminder of the inexplicable events I had encountered. Johnny's mother offered me a cup of tea, her eyes reflecting a mix of concern and wisdom. I accepted it with a nod, my throat too tight for words. Johnny arrived shortly after, his expression a mixture of worry and relief upon seeing me. His parents spoke to him in hushed dine, their gestures and tone conveying more than I could understand. He turned to me, his face serious. The medicine man is coming to see you, he said. He'll perform a blessing. It's important. I nodded, feeling a mixture of gratitude and apprehension. The idea of a blessing seemed both alien and necessary, a bridge between my understanding of the world and the mysteries I had just experienced. 
The medicine man arrived with the sun fully risen, casting long shadows across the desert landscape. He was an elderly man, his face lined with the stories and wisdom of years I could only imagine. He spoke no English, but his presence alone was a comfort. He began his ritual, burning sage and chanting in a rhythmic cadence that filled the Hogan with a sense of ancient power. As he prayed over me, I felt a gradual easing of the tension that had gripped me since the previous night. It was as if his words were weaving a protective shield around me, warding off the darkness that had threatened to consume me. After the ceremony, Johnny spoke quietly with his father, then turned to me. We're cutting the trip short, he said. The walkers won't bother us now that we're leaving, but it's better not to take chances. The term walkers sent a chill down my spine, a confirmation of the supernatural elements I had tried to dismiss. Johnny seemed to read my thoughts. It's rare for them to show themselves, he explained. You were unlucky, or maybe lucky, in a way. Not many people see them and walk away. His words were meant to reassure, but they left me with more questions than answers. The drive back to civilization was quiet, each of us lost in our thoughts. The vast landscape of Black Mesa stretched out around us, unchanged by the events that had unfolded. As we left the reservation, I looked back, half expecting to see those haunting eyes one last time, but there was only the open desert, indifferent and unyielding. I knew one thing for certain, my view of the world had changed. The boundaries between reality and legend, between the seen and the unseen, had blurred. And while I was safe for now, the mystery of what I had encountered would stay with me, a lingering shadow at the edge of my consciousness. I made a silent vow then, no more caravans for me, not after this. The wild, untamed beauty of Black Mesa was something I would admire from a distance, respecting its secrets and the ancient powers that dwelled within.